Hello, my name is Robert Sram, your host today on Future Now Radio. And our special guest is Eugen Utringer from Germany. At Future Now Radio, we invite active visionaries that are in the process of creating a collaborative world radio platform to explore concepts and understandings around new systems of sustainability and post-scarcity. Future Now Radio is a free station by passing the mainstream media, by offering programs and inspiring original and regenerating perspectives to address world problems and offer positive grassroots and meta-level solutions. To share uh, something now about Eugen, Eugen Utringer is a senior analyst. He's a coach, a bridge builder, a consultant and facilitator. Eugen is also the initiator and main developer of the Law of Nature Manifesto. As a polymath, he skipped the popular approach of breaking this challenge into parts. More about this later. Instead, he asked this question. When looking across all the parts, where could the intervention points of the highest impact be? This made it possible to find insights and solutions that couldn't be seen from within the parts. Well, that already sounds very mystical and interesting. Hello, Eugen, welcome. Hello, Robert. Thank you for inviting me to this uh, interview. You're welcome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's great to have you. Normally we start with uh, as a classic opener, Eugen, uh, with some quotes that we found uh, on your LinkedIn page, some recommendations. So let's, I will mention uh, a few. Donna Fitzgerald, she is uh, saying about you, I've had the pleasure knowing Eugen over 10 years and of extensively working with him on our joint efforts to build a business agile community for the last two years. Eugen is an excellent collaborative partner and a very insightful thinker. He also deeply understands the concepts and principles of agility and how to use them to make effective organizational change. That's from Donna Fitzgerald. And uh, Rene Arts, he says, Eugen is passionate about his process, book and methodology. He's driven towards client satisfaction. Eugen can function either individually as a consultant or work as part of a larger team extremely well. Eugen, how do you feel about these recommendations? Yeah, I, I feel well about them. They uh, provide, well, uh, what I've done, I think, going to the root cause of problems and one of the key things for me is or, or having worked in a service environment one of the key elements uh, that was part of the culture and i picked up as well is yeah uh, deliver to what clients need make them happy but there are maybe situations when that may be challenging then try to find ways to demonstrate that you're doing your best to help them, to understand them, and uh, ideally deliver 
the unexpected better than they thought to be. And that, that was part of the culture of a complete company. It's uh, too bad that has disappeared. But well, I thought this worked really, really well. So I said to myself, well, I keep doing that. And that uh, has made things possible that, yeah, were common in this culture, but got lost later, even in the company I worked for. Yeah, great. Yeah, that's really uh, cool stuff. Thanks for that. Eugen, we are in a pivotal moment in history, right? I mean, lots of yeah. things are shifting. However, we will talk uh, more about it later. But we are in the midst of a transition phase where we all need each other to overcome our current challenges. So like, let's dive into our talk and your project, The Law of Nature Manifesto. And just for the listeners, in short, I wanted to share up front so they can have better understanding because you developed a tool, Manifesto, to support decision makers or managers in companies to overcome their challenges. Is that correct summary of it? Yeah, that's uh, pretty much provides some a summary. Uh, there's a little bit more to that when we go into yeah. the nitty gritties. <laughs> okay, great. And you also shared with us what made you develop the manifesto. I think you made the following observations and I will quote you if that's okay. Sure. So on the one hand, the higher the potential value of an innovative solution to a tough problem is, the quicker it becomes stuck in the system. On the other hand, decision makers are expected to solve these problems. However, they can either risk losing their jobs or apply the lower risk thinking that created these problems. Eventually, a third option emerged. The laws of nature hide behind the surface. Here we have a possibility to get decision makers out of this dilemma and on board to solve the tough problems projects, organizations and societies face. Eugen, please share more how this works and how you see yourself in this mission. Yeah, how, how I see myself in this mission, uh, maybe it's worthwhile to go back a little bit. You see, in the old environment uh, where, we, uh, where I grew up shortly after I started work, well, problems had always to be solved at the root causes, period. No other option. Questions asked were when the problem reoccurred, uh, has this occurred before? Do we understand the root cause? Who's going to be responsible to fix it once and for all? And when then the best practices came, this was overruled by, okay, there are still root causes that need to be addressed, but they have to fit within the boundaries of the best practices. Root causes out there, outside those boundaries weren't addressed anymore. And the culture we had changed from solving root causes higher and having uh, uh, happy clients to when there's a problem, we install a best practice and the root cause will kind of disappear. And that just didn't happen. Uh, on the contrary, and for me, 2005, yeah, 2005 was the year when things changed to such a level that, well, the higher the possible value of an innovation was, of an innovative solution, uh, whatever you call it, uh, the quicker got, it got stuck in the system. 
And over the years, I've participated in about 20 initiatives. Only two are left. Uh, all the others either had to reduce their huge ambition to small fraction or got stuck in the system. And mine were all of high impact, so I couldn't get through the system anymore. Others made the same experiences, yet people ca uh, came forward, tried it again and again, and uh, well, the result was always pretty much the same. So I said, something needs to be done about it. I'm an analyst, let's analyze the root causes, as we have done in the old culture. Uh, I know that there is this strongly held belief that one uh, when an environment is complex, when the challenge is complex, we cannot identify the root causes, so we cannot solve them. Well, that's true when one looks from the uh, inside of a silo or a box. Yeah, you still find the root causes inside the box, but the, uh, the most damaging these days are located outside the box. And when I applied the old thinking, all of a sudden it became possible to find root causes of highest damage and those showed the way to uh, highly effective uh, solutions. To give you an idea, I used to work in a position between the headquarters in the United States and the locations in, the U in uh, Europe. Couldn't do my job anymore. People complained about not finding the information they needed to do their job and management complained about, well, those guys in the field do not apply the strategies. Well, at the end of the day, nobody listened to each other. So people did not understood why the other part didn't do what they were expected. And we uh, started to listen and all of a sudden, it does, didn't take long, uh, we had identified uh, only six root causes and 42 issues. And those were sufficient to understand a really complex issue. Internal communication, governance, human interaction with tools and processes. Nobody felt, had felt responsible to look at the whole, just pieces. And each time when I looked into pieces, something was done, but people could see that it was insufficient to solve the problem. And when, when we took the, the system level, uh, flow or the system level perspective or the holistic view. And it turned out, well, when you look into high, where's the highest damage created, that's where the intervention can take place. And that guided me later on in finding a high impact solution in different fields by, uh, well, simply looking at where uh, the highest damage is created and at some time, a loss of nature emerged as another important criteria. And those then guided the way out of the tough problem towards, well, when there's a high damage problem towards a high impact solution. And usually at a fraction of the costs involved. And um, uh, one of those uh, was, for example, what, what became known as flatten the curve under COVID. By this, I mean in particular, the speed by which governments like those of the Netherlands and Germany were able to create a new decision-making process in no time with the bureaucracy out of the way. Well, when I looked into this, hey, this was exactly the same what I had applied with data center computers. Well, at first, 
I, I was responsible to ensure computers had sufficient capacity uh, so people didn't have to wait behind their screens. Well, there are a couple of practices to that. Those became known under the term flatten the curve. And uh, well, that was part of the job that was, was part of the best practices and we applied that. But eventually, uh, actually, uh, it was kind of natural to not just apply it with computers, but also with processes, human interactions and the like with organizational matters. And at some time I had a business case which said, uh, if you don't intervene now, the exponential growth of complexity will create huge service issues. And back then it was accepted without hesitation because management understood it was part of what used to be called common business sense that that the costs, the service issues had to be prevented and it was yeah, accepted within no time. And later on, such argumentation weren't accepted anymore. Common business sense disappeared. I rarely heard it in the last 20 years. And uh, when I look back then, this the law of nature that hides behind the curve well, that provided one of the key elements to get this fixed. And after 20 years or yeah, 20, 25 years of absence, all of a sudden we flattened the curve as well as back in decision-making. And now we had, and why did it work? Well, one reason was definitely because a law of nature had been applied as it was applied in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah, so all these barriers disappeared suddenly, like with Corona, and we were able to, to make these changes very fast. That's what you're saying. And I also picked up on the fact that 90% um, of projects, they get stranded or the problems don't get solved because of miscommunication. That's, um, that's well, massive. Yeah, there are under the table estimates that in certain fields where it is highly complex, uh, that project failure rates can be up to 18, 90%. And uh, despite that, what we have seen again and again, and even after 20 years, I've heard it again, it was in 2017, uh, where people argued, yeah, we haven't applied the best practices to the level required to make it work. Well, that has been said so many times. These lessons learned have been learned again and again. Each time the lessons learned were lost, uh, but I'm arguing now something critical was missing because it's back to the, to the law of nature hiding behind flatten the curve. And perhaps this would be a good time to introduce it. What it basically says is when uh, this law says when the demand for resource is higher than the resource can deliver, queues build up. On the road, we know the queues as uh, traffic jams in organizations, they are called waiting lists, endless discussions, people that are locked in a project but, but are desperately needed to do, to do a task and the like and the like. So with the uh, law of nature, all of a sudden, we can make a huge difference if we apply what the law says. It says when a tipping point is crossed or when you see a tipping point being crossed like exponential growth coming, 
very quick, like happened with Corona, or rather slow over a period of a decade with complexity and bureaucracy, it's still exponential growth. If you can relearn when the tipping point occurs and then uh, enable us again, this is nothing new. It's, it used to be part of decision-making and enable us to recognize when the tipping point occurs and then start switching to different practices, practices that work well beyond uh, the tipping point. And to give an example, with water, it's pretty easy for us. Nobody would uh, walk in the middle of a, of a summer over a frozen river. It simply doesn't exist. Yeah? yeah. We adapt automatically. Similar things happen in the, well, let's call it the virtual world of organizations with their processes, human interactions, the interactions with computers, laws of nature, uh, regulations, I should say, and the like. And uh, the challenge here is, is only, so to speak, to relearn, recognize when these connections, when the things that need to be managed exceed uh, what a company or an organization can afford, and then start switching to the practices that work well beyond this tipping point. It's pretty much like switching from walking over a frozen river in the winter to swimming in it in the, in the summer. One just needs to relearn when what practices work better. Yeah, yeah. I love it that you are presenting it as a, a tool for solutions. And yeah, I'm, I'm uh, really wondering in what phase is the project now? Can you share a bit about it? Yeah, sure. What we have also identified, if uh, we break this, this challenge into supposedly manageable part, which is a standard approach for going about complex problems, a few parts can be picked up, synchronized and move forward. But in the complex environments of today with all these external dependencies, like uh, freelancers coming in, like others making laws that impact project or an organization, uh, if it is only addressed from within a few parts, there will always be too many external dependencies, external problems that will not be addressed. And the trouble is, I experienced that uh, from about five years ago, that more and more people recognized when too many things were not addressed within a new initiative, within a new project, which made them conclude, hey, this is too much of the old thinking, the same thinking that created the problem situation. And why should I contribute to just another project that misses the same lessons learned? Yeah. Mm. So from that perspective, we came to the conclusion, we need to have, have something fundamental that crosses all the, the areas, all the parts and provide a foundation. So all those, who need to work together can move into a common direction. And we are, and we started approaching that from the system level again with the question, where is the highest damage created? What are the root causes and not just the highest damage root causes, but the changeable root causes of highest damage that might hide behind others. And then it turned out it's usual the same few root causes, 
like missing laws of nature. And that guided us to, well, a foundation, uh, a couple of elements that when we put them together, they can complement each other. And what we did here, we looked completely open to all sorts of areas. It didn't matter where a solution element came from. It, the critical question was, well, if you combine it with a whole, does it provide the highest impact at the lowest cost and risk? And that developed into what we call the law of nature manifesto. And we've based it on the concept on primarily on laws of nature because they are used in fields like physics, engineering, mathematics. But then where are the laws of nature in the other fields where decisions are made, like social fields, like uh, management fields, like brain research? And to our big surprise, well, I'm coming from a mathematical background, it was all of a sudden, and it happened just a few months ago, a big, big surprise to learn that there's no concept uh, about laws of nature for those fields. Yeah, there's no concept. What qualifies as a law of nature? So there's no law of nature identified. Okay, some may use them, but across the board, it led to a situation uh, where missing laws of concept meant there was no compliance verification, but there was compliance verification with best practices, with human-made laws, with trends, with fixed ways of thinking. So at the end of the day, uh, this has led to a situation where these human-made constructs overrule laws of nature. Now, in turn, the laws of nature can still be applied. So yeah. there's huge opportunity to fix these roadblocks and in the, in the way today these obstacles with relatively little effort and free the past so the effective solutions can get through the system again and their value can be unlocked yeah yeah i think that's very fascinating and we will share for the listeners uh, a few links when we broadcast the interview and we will share some links so you can find out more details about uh, the law of nature manifesto. Eugen, I want to shift a little bit in this interview and ask you what actually made you decide to focus on being a change maker and bridge builder and to fully focus on your calling. Well, I know and I've gone through a new uh, generation leadership class where we identified the three events in our life that drive our thinking. Well, that's a source of where I get the energy to do what I'm doing right now. That led me also into the position I mentioned before in the US and uh, the locations uh, over here in Europe to be a bridge maker uh, and unlock the knowledge, information and bring it back to where the decisions are made. That's a key. Yeah. And well, and on the other hand, I also had this experience with my son. Uh, he developed daily emotional outbursts and had ADHD. He went to school for special education because he had greatest difficulties to learn readings. And, and that, that was the case until I uh, sort of stumbled across existing the uh, therapies that appear to apply 
this law of nature that hides behind flat the curve. And to give you an idea, uh, his steady emotional outbursts are down or have disappeared after having been daily. We have experienced them daily, one wrong word and something could fly through the, through the room. Uh, they've disappeared for 15 years now. Wow. And that was a side effect of a treatment uh, we found for dyslexia or the difficulty to learn reading. And uh, when the flat the curve practices, well, I have no proof yet, but uh, it's pretty obvious that happened. When the flat the curve practices took effect, he was able to learn reading within six weeks, and that was after years of intensive training. And though I got into this, hey, wait a moment, there are solutions available for our kids. Now we have uh, the climate matters. When we have when we just think about our own future and that of our children. Well, it, it's heading downhill pretty rapidly. And when you know about tipping points and the laws of nature behind it, well, that's frightening. That's mm. frightening. But on the other hand, uh, the same laws provide the solution potential. It's readily there. It's available from other disciplines, from uh, physics, from engineering and so forth. And there are, of course, uh, there will be laws of nature specific to complexity areas, managerial areas, and so forth. And guys, it's such a straightforward thing to use them. So let's do it. And let's do it. Lowest effort, highest impact. That's where we are for the future of ourselves and our children. I totally agree with that. And uh, because there's a huge potential in the solutions that we have available already. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that's great. Thanks for sharing that. I... Something else. It's a well-known secret that many high impact solutions or innovative solutions are around today. Yeah. The law of nature that helped my son that helps with, uh, ADHD in general, with dyslexia, he's no exception by the way. And so forth. It's there. The only thing that needs to be done is the research with the law of nature. So that's just one of huge, of huge possibility waiting to be unlocked. There are many others around in fields of uh, energy in managerial areas, uh, like the three events that drive our thinking that I've talked about. There's also a mental blockade that develops from them. I've gone through this and I understand pretty well why it is so difficult to let go of overthinking one is get used to. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the solutions to fix the big problems are there. What's missing is freeing the way. So the obstacles, the blockades that innovative solution thinkers get hit by, that those get removed, that those get out of the way, then things can happen very quickly. Yeah, wonderful. That's exciting. Uh, I want to ask you some personal questions. We ask every guest in the program. And uh, of course, you have your unique uh, life experiences to answer them. I want to ask, how do you combine? So firstly, how do you combine your life as a bridge builder and analyst and consultant and facilitator and your current activities? How do you keep and find balance in your life? Oh, that's a good question. 
Well, that's true. Uh, well, the, the one thing is because what I do, all those things are in line with the three events that drive my thinking. And when that is the case, it gives a lot of positive energy that enables me to go the extra mile. I'm a very supportive wife, uh, which helps me to, to do uh, uh, what I do. And she supports that. Then the experiences with my son, if you have seen it, uh, I've been in a, in a waiting room with a therapy. Somebody next to us said, well, it's a miracle that their child was helped. But I have to argue, hey, wait a moment. It's just the law of nature. This is explainable. This can be proven. The only thing that needs to be done is to research. So that gives an enormous amount of energy, of course. I keep trying to sport a little bit. But uh, the main thing is the positive energy it gives that uh, helps uh, go, uh, going through. But there's something else. And that started actually in the company I worked for right after studying. And that is, there was a culture where we were expected to search for solutions, no matter where they came from. Yeah, it was welcome. Not somewhere, well, what we have today is, while well, we're going, engineer on, uh, well, this is my expertise in engineering. That's what I'm doing. No, we were expected to go across the box. And one of the things I learned, I have actually a bachelor's degree in mathematics is, well, mathematics is one of the few disciplines in which people are, are trained to find deep insights independent of an area. At Isis Pack was hugely helpful and uh, enabled me to do things in different areas and find solutions in different areas, near as I had no knowledge about like brain research and find solutions others just couldn't find. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like a key factor to me that uh, a company has a structure that allows people to sort of step out of your comfort zone or just look at other sectors just to, to create more diversity in, in information exchange. I think that's very healthy. It's uh, information ex exchange, doing it actually, not just putting something up on the wall, but get, getting uh, the help to get it implemented. Yeah. That was, when you had a good idea, that was very much welcome and uh, was uh, implemented. And again, that disappeared when the best practices came, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I must say people, uh, well, there's, there's, there's not quite often, uh, or there are trends that say, well, if this doesn't work, let's jump to the opposite. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm opposed to that. I don't care where a solution comes from. I only care what element of maybe best practice of maybe an engineering something or a psychological something, when we bring them together, what, how can we use it so uh, we can create not just uh, a value of one plus one is equals two, but one plus one plus one equals five, 10 or even more. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever, I wonder, Eugen, did you ever heard a manager say like, I understand you, what you're saying, what you're offering as a solution, but how do I explain this to the board? Oh, yes. I've been asked many, many times to simplify it. And uh, one of the things I learned actually through this leadership training 
as humans, we are easily, uh, we're getting easily into this pattern uh, that says, well, the other doesn't listen and uh, makes no sense and uh, fire him or whatever. But at the end of the day, a big part is in the own communication. So if we can adapt, start to listen authentically, that was my trap. I'd lost the ability to listen to managers at some time. I was able to pretty good listen to peers, but uh, the people, the managers I needed to get on board, I had lost that until I went through this training and the door opened again. And that has become a huge challenge thing. Uh, well, in the past, in the 90s, I mentioned I had this business case and the thinking was the same. The culture was the same. So it was easy to get the business case through that later could just couldn't get through anymore. And what when this thinking changed, when the then when this disconnect between uh, those having solutions and managers and boards became bigger and bigger, uh, it became a real challenge. So uh, I stepped back and even pitches turned out to be insufficient. In a few words, in a few minutes, one just cannot bring over uh, a solution to complex challenge because today's thinking is pretty much the opposite to it. Mm. So we need to get back into situations where we create openness, where we have a little bit more time, not huge time, but a little bit more time so we can really talk about things and bring things in that that get people on the same page again, yeah? So the discussions we have here, while it might help, I would expect with people who are somewhat open or think differently out of the box system level already, mm -hmm. but also to get people truly on board, we need even to go through a step further, that we need to go through exercises, practical solutions, and there's, there are a whole number of possible ways to open people's mind from very simple, like a little exercise uh, we have up to what I went through to open three of my deep mental blockades. Mm -hmm. the, the solutions are there, it just takes effort to invite people to get onto into this path of uh, letting go of the thinking that created the problem situation and then become open for a different uh, system level thinking, one that addresses things where the lowest effort, lowest risk leads to the highest impact. Yeah. It remains tricky, I must say, but I'm getting <laughs> yeah. encouraged from the recent feedback we received. That's great. Another personal question, Eugen, did you ever feel some moments of despair? In your journey and if so which ones and how did you overcome these challenges yeah at some time i was in the situation i just didn't get through to decision makers anymore yeah mm. and uh, again it was this leadership class in this class i learned uh, what was going on and this had to do with my strengths the three events in my life and uh, at one point, I, I was in the class and, uh, well, first of all, I didn't know how to get connected with managers again. And in this class, 
uh, one of uh, the participants said something and I was supposed to translate from English to German while listening. And at some time I discovered I missed complete chunks in the discussion. And what I learned there was there were actually three tasks in my head going on at the same time. And I went again into this law of nature. It hit me and I hadn't realized it, but from this experience, it was clear. I was able to listen to two things, but then my strengths took over and moved the analyzing task to the top which meant I asked questions that wouldn't be asked. I should have listened to what was said and translate that, but this task kept overruling my thinking until an exercise was made and I was able to let go of that thinking. And with two other mental blockades open, I was able to connect with people at levels I wasn't able to connect uh, anymore. I worked really quickly. So yes, and this since that time, and because I can't focus on the lectures, that I can't focus on what gives me the most energy. Uh, well, when, some, when I get stuck somewhere, then the next question is, uh, how can I fix that? Yeah. And usually something, something turns out that brings things a step or two uh, further. Yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds very interesting, learning to deal with three or maybe more tasks that you're doing at the, at same, the same time. time at the same time yeah the that there is but well, the capacity of our mental mind is limited basically the conclusion that i draw is we can have one mental task we, we can think about one pattern in our mind at any time then we need to switch to the next one and with the uh, limits of uh, of the mind of the conscious mind, I should say, but it became obvious the capacity bottleneck law of nature allows me with my way of thinking to do two tasks, but when the third task comes in, the wrong one may take over the highest priority and then, well, all sorts of things are missed in discussions and... Yeah, I feel like sharing, it's like, it feels to me like being in a room full of people and listening to different conversations sometimes you try to pick up on two or three conversations and then still be able to you know follow the thread of the talk it's it's a sort of a, an exercise but it's very hard it's do. hard yeah. yeah yeah but it's trainable that's what you're saying well one, one can change it's a matter of applying the curve practice Mm. So what was done in the exercise, so one of the practices is to set, in, in computers in particular, is to set priorities for different tasks in the computer. And the same, I recognize, is going on in the brain. So the task I didn't need when I was listening and supposed to translate would have to be moved downwards in the priority. Yeah. And I went through an, offer, through an exercise that did exactly that. And that's a capacity bottleneck or flow or flat the curve practice. Clearly, we have applied it with data center computers. <laughs> yeah, great. Again, in every interview, we ask a big question. Okay. And uh, if you're up for it, 
Um, it can be either a big question about the environment or it can be about systems, whatever you prefer. Well, are they much the same? They are, that's a good, good answer or a good observation. Yeah, they are, of course, they are overlapping, but yeah. it could be you have a preference. If you just go ahead, pick one. <laughs> okay. I think I will go for the systems, but I also would love to talk about the other one, but I will just start with the environment. It's pretty safe to say that our current consuming systems are not sustainable at the least. They are quite static. I mean, Earth Overshoot Day comes early every year. We use almost two times as much of resources as the Earth can carry. And I think actually last year and this year it falls on July 29th. And even in the Netherlands, Eugen, I didn't know this, Overshoot Day was on April 12th. Cool. So in the Netherlands, we need four planets, almost four planets to keep it up. So this clearly cannot go on. So my big question to you is how do we as a human race provide and distribute abundance globally as well as locally? while maintaining an ethic of absolute ecological sustainability and protecting the right of everyone and of every species on the planet, not only to exist, but to thrive. How do we best organize to make what I just mentioned happen? How can we live in balance with Earth? Yeah, that's a very interesting one. But when I think about it, this is pretty much heading to what uh, we call the law of nature manifesto mm -hmm. um, the key to me is get rid of the obstacles and blockades first yeah make that the highest priority anything else uh, keeps the available solutions solutions that are available today away from there where they should be so we need to unlock the value of the uh, highest impact uh, solutions being a technical or social or whatever, uh, we need to unlock those. And then, well, all sorts of solutions could emerge, but we still need to get people uh, using them. And that brings me to what we call the guiding questions. Now we can create laws, we can create uh, uh, restrictions and send people to prison for misbehavior. But these are all extremely slow processes, create opposition and so forth. Though the idea is to use guiding questions to stimulate people to go into the desired direction you have uh, indicated right now, uh, actually pointed to. And this way create uh, a way so people can't refuse to continue with all thinking, uh, I should say. And I can, I can say that because the company I work for used to be the inventor of uh, outsourcing. And what happened was complete IT departments were integrated in that company in no time, without lots of training, but by simply asking the same guiding questions again and again, like uh, when a problem reoccurred, has it occurred again? Do we understand the root cause? Who's responsible for uh, uh, solving it? And uh, that's why with the manifesto, we made a couple of guiding questions available, like 
Well, let me first give an example. There is now yeah, increased focus on making decisions based on value, but how do you quantify value? So instead of quantifying anything, the guiding question here uh, has become, well, when a decision is to be made, will the decision improve or worsen core human values mm -hmm. like health, safety? Will it improve or worsen it? And this way, one can gradually, with each decision, push or drive people to improve consistently instead of ignoring the values, uh, the non-monetarial values as it happens today. So it's part of it. Actually, if you look into one of the values, there is something already mentioned in very, very few core human values uh, we have identified, not just for, uh, for the well-being of uh, human beings, but the nature around it as well. Yeah, so does that answer your question? I think so. Basically, I, I, what I filtered out of your answer is so take out a lot of barriers, so bureaucracy, right? Like the government Absolutely. did with, with Corona. And uh, the other thing is a reassessment of our values. What are actually the values? What are the yeah. most important values by which decisions should be driven? Right. That's back to help them just opening the uh, web page here, health, safety, basic needs, water, energy, and the like, truth, including truth seeking, but also freedom in harmony, freedom meaning uh, my yeah. uh, freedom ends where the freedom of the other person uh, starts. Yeah. That's basically the main core values. And the key here is to keep it very simple so people can remember it. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's why we have only very, very few such values, but all we need are the highest impact uh, values and a few essential behaviors. Yeah, great. Eugen, we are getting uh, about to the end phase of the interview. So are there any other topics you would like to talk about? Let's make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for it, yeah. It's not minutes, but seconds to 12. So we really need to speed up. Mm. And if somebody has something better, fine. Oh yeah, the one thing I would like to mention is uh, the manifesto is free to use. We, have, we are using a um, Creative Commons license to ensure it stays within boundaries. Uh, so it can work, but it's free to use even if people want to create commercial uh, services around it. The important thing is that get, gets applied uh, as widely as possible, as broadly as possible. Yeah, I, I love that position that you're taking. That's really wonderful to share it and uh, so everyone can use it. That's fantastic. And it ties into the question, uh, the following question, how we can support your activities and projects. Uh, by all means, go to the webpage, look it up, lawofnaturemanifesto.org, lawofnaturemanifesto, one word, .org. And uh, the easiest way would be to go into uh, one of the two online sessions we provide, so you get a better feeling uh, for what is going on, where the obstacles are, and how simple solutions can be. Fantastic. Eugen, uh, who would you like us to interview on Future Now Radio? And it can be anyone, 
outside of your comfort zone. Oh, that would be great. If you could get hold of somebody who be positioned to be an ambassador for core human values, applying laws of nature, that mm -hmm. would be fantastic. Okay. Great. Thank you so much for being on the show, Eugen. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you very much for this opportunity. And let's hope we can move forward quickly. <laughs> I'm sure we can. Um, thank you for listening to this podcast. We talked to Eugen Uteringer, coach, bridge builder, analyst, consultant, facilitator, and creator of the Law of Nature Manifesto.